Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. We are continuing our conversation with the Tennis Warehouse University professor, Crawford Lindsay, and J-Dub, our string racket guru extraordinaire. We left you guys in the first episode with a cliffhanger question from J-Dub, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. J-Dub, take it away. All right, here it is. The industry tends to refer to heavy players' rackets as control rackets or control and feel. And they often refer to light, stiff rackets as power rackets. However, your power tool at Tennis Warehouse University tells a more complicated story. Um, Can you talk about what the tool measures and why, for instance, Michelle's Pro Staff RF97 autograph has more power than Babylon's Pure Drive, even though we list the opposite in our reviews. First off, a player's racket, what we define as player's rackets, which are usually heavier, flexible, a bit smaller, because they're heavier, they have they actually have more power. Okay. And they have more power because they have more mass and therefore they also have more control. So a player's racket is a more powerful and better control racket. Okay. But because they're usually smaller, say what, what should we say? A hundred inches or less. Yeah. That'd be about right. right. Some 105, maybe 103. Traditional player's rackets, small head, thin beam. The reason that lighter, bigger rackets usually get qualified as power rackets, part of it, they're, well, they're usually lighter, first of all. Therefore, they have less power intrinsically, although you may be able to swing them faster. Right. But if you're a recreational player, you're probably not swinging that fast anyway. You're just trying to keep the ball in the court and swinging you know, more slowly. But what makes them so-called more powerful is that they may have a larger um, sweet zone size because they are bigger. And where that comes into play is they're more stable because they're bigger. Okay. So if you hit off center with a larger racket, because you have more weight further away from the center of the racket, because your racket's wider, that makes it more stable. And so you're going to get less twisting upon impact. And therefore that's going to make your sweet zone size, um, bigger it's going to go out towards the periphery a bit so it's going to feel more powerful on more hits perhaps because uh as as a recreational player you're probably not hitting uh as concisely as a pro player more all over the racket and therefore you want a a bigger racket for more consistent power over a larger area of size and that's you're sort of referring to twist weight in that example, when you you know the real estate off center gives you a more powerful response because there's more weight behind the ball. Right. When you're thinking of a racket, there's several kinds of weights. There's the regular 
weight of the of the racket. Okay, and that's just how how heavy it is to pick up, for example. And then you also have uh, the swing weight, which is both the amount of weight and the location or the distribution of the weight throughout your racket. The more weight that's towards the tip of the racket. So if you have 300 grams, if more of that 300 grams is towards the tip, you're going to have higher swing weight. The swing weight is a measure of the resistance to rotating uh, the racket uh, in a circle. Okay. So, and that's what we do when we swing we're rotating into an arc, which is essentially a part of a circle. So swing weight uh, depends on the amount and the distribution and the more weight that's towards the tip, the, the higher the swing weight. So, and then twist weight, as Jonathan was just mentioning, is the same thing, but on a, around a different axis. Uh, and swing weight is the resistance of rotating the racket uh, in this normal plane of action. Twist weight would be resistance of rotating the racket, twisting it backwards. So if you hit the ball at the top of the racket, it's going to go backwards. A higher twist weight is going to prevent it from going backwards. A higher swing weight is going to prevent it from rotating backwards that way. And then there's also something called spin weight that we never even talk about, but that's the, um, the resistance to rotating your racket in this direction, like you would be trying to put some spin on the ball. Mm. Uh, spin weight and swing weight are essentially the same. Maybe uh, a spin weight is a little bit heavier, uh, maybe five, 10 points. Say whatever your swing weight is at five or 10 points, and that's what, about what your, uh, your, your twist uh, spin weight is going to be. Uh, and then hitting weight or effective mass um, is the amount of mass that your point of impact behaves like it is. And that is easy, most easily uh, uh, looked at by thinking of the three rotations again. When you hit a when you hit a racket, the ball the racket goes backwards, it rotates and it twists. Okay, and all of those movements, if it's, if there's a lot of movement in all those directions, that means the racket is behaving as if it were light. Okay, the faster the racket recoils from the impact with the ball. Uh, it's acting as if it was lighter at that point of impact. So when you hit the tip and a little bit off center on the tip, it's going to rotate very rapidly and fast backwards. It's going to twist in your hand very rapidly and backwards. And if you hit towards the throat, where most of the weight is, that's where the center of mass is. Um, and if you, it's not off center, it's not going to twist at all. So there's no twisting backwards. And um, it's going to be less... Uh, translation backwards because um, uh, you're right close to the center of mass and there's going to be no rotation at all almost because you're closer to the axis of rotation, which is at your wrist. So um, the effect of mass, the, the as if mass of your hitting point is going to be less at the tip, less around the peripheries and more as you go towards the center of the racket and towards the throat of the racket. Then just to clarify, the most powerful point on a racket is in the throat. Okay. That's the most powerful intrinsic point on the racket. But as you swing a racket, each part of the racket is going a different speed. So as you're swinging in a circle, the racket is going at the same angular speed throughout the swing. Um, so each part of the racket is going, is, is rotating through the same angle. Okay. But, the parts of that 
rackets that are closer to your hand are moving more slowly. They're covering a smaller distance. Out at the end of the racket, you're, you, you know, you're moving this much distance over an arc, and down at the the bottom, you're you're by your handle, it's this much distance. So as you move out towards the end of your racket, you're getting more speed. So you're getting more speed at the end of your racket, but you're getting much less intrinsic power from the racket. So there's a spot somewhere in between the tip and the throat where you get the highest combination of intrinsic power of the racket and speed of the racket. So if you just imagine as you're hitting a spot goes up towards the tip of the racket, you're getting less and less power, but you're getting more and more racket speed. And there's a point pretty close to right above the middle of the racket usually that the two come to the, their maximum amount. So in general, as you move up the racket, you're going to get faster and faster shots until you go past that point of a maximum shot. And then the last three or four inches towards the tip, you're going to get less power again, less ball speed. But because the the tip is moving faster, is there, you know, for instance, we say that extended length rackets have more power. This is another truism that that we just sort of throw out there without getting into the science. But is that the reason we say that extended length rackets have higher power potentials? Because the, the tip is actually moving faster or gives you a high, higher stroke speed potential, yeah. even yeah. though it has lower mass. So it doesn't, it, it doesn't have much power because of that, but it's got the, the advantage of the racket speed. Well, if it has the same swing weight as the shorter racket, but you hit it out further from uh, out towards the tip, so it's further away from your hand, um, the racket will be traveling faster out there, and therefore you will get more, more racket speed. But again, with a, an added extra inch to your racket, it all depends on whether you hit it further away from your hand or not anyway. I mean, when, no matter what you have in your hand, I imagine, again, I'm speaking purely out of uh, nothing here. Um, I think you hit the ball relative to what you're used to away from your body on any given shot. You're going you're gonna to hit it pretty close to the center of whatever racket you're playing with because you wanna, you're just used to hitting it X, X inches away from your, your hand or whatever your body. Um, so I, because you have a because you have an inch longer racket doesn't necessarily mean that every shot you hit is going to be an inch further out towards the end of the racket. But if in fact you do, like a serve would be a case where it would be easy to then use that extra length to hit further out on the end of the tip and get more racket speed. Skipping back to something you mentioned earlier, you were talking about the effective mass at each location on a racket. On your power tool, I think you have 12 locations that you map out across the string bed, 11 or 12. And, you know, you can go, for instance, I went and compared the Pure Drive to the RF97 Autograph. And I was able to look at all of these different locations on the string bed, the effective mass at, at those locations, and I could draw from that how much power and stability and, and, and also comfort, I could get an accurate picture of what was going on across the string bed. In fact, I think that's the most intuitive of all the tools there are. Mm -hmm. um, it's just hard to understand because people, I mean, 
just the terminology effective mass uh, or a hitting weight is is something to, that's a little bit difficult to wrap your head around. But if you realize that it's just an as if mass that on each location on your racket, it's as if you're hitting the ball, the tennis ball with a different amount of weight. And so we can measure that and figure that out. And then we put it on our tool. And so you can look at every racket and, and you go in and look at where you tend to hit the ball most often. So you look at the fuzz on your strings and you see, I always hit the ball one inch below the uh, long axis and uh, say three inches from the, the tip of the racket. You look at the hitting weight, the effective mass or the as if mass at that location on the tool. And then you can compare it to all the other rackets, which one has more or less hitting weight in that location. And um, of course, the larger the hitting weight, the the more powerful, the more comfortable, and the more control you're going to have um, than if it's a if it's a lighter hitting weight. And there you'll you'll find that there's particular hitting weights, a range of which you're you feel comfortable with uh, swinging. And you maintain your your swing speed such that uh, you're always getting the the, uh, the power that you that you like. Yeah, I mean, I feel like if you were you know playing a lot of doubles and you were really sensitive to the fact that your racket was twisting too much at impact, you could conceivably go to the tool and compare your current racket to a racket maybe you're interested in and sort of see oh. In these locations off center on the nine three axis, I have a higher weight that would at least counteract twisting that I'm that I'm experiencing to some extent, or at least it would be a reason to demo. Right, right. Besides demoing, one thing that's so easy to do is if you just take a a roll of lead tape out on the court. Um, you can experiment with all this stuff very easily just to see if you like um, a heavier swing weight or twist weight um, very easily. And, uh, you know, without cost and without extra time, it's just so easy to do. That's a good point, actually, because, yeah, I don't think people realize how easy it is to like kind of like try it on for, you know, maybe you are in the the market for a new racket because you want to fix a problem that your current racket has. If you just grab um, some tungsten tape or putty or we don't, I guess, I don't know if we're still selling, um, what's it called? (laughs) The one that has the lead poisoning. Lead lead, lead Lead, tape. Lead tape. (laughs) Can we even say that? Am I even allowed to say the word lead? (laughs) I don't know. Um, And we have a bunch of tools and on the learning center and videos even where it's like, if you put weight here, this will happen. If you put weight here, this will happen. And I notoriously will always put weight um, on the tip of my racket, especially if I'm using a racket that's got a lower swing weight and I'm just looking for a little more mm from the the racket. And it's like such little does a lot. So that's a good point. I like that. It does just two or three grams uh, on each side of your rack. I think we've shown that the most effective places to most bang for your buck, so to speak, is at two and uh, two and ten o'clock. It gives you a combination of the. It gives you some twist weight, some swing weight. Big sweet spot. Yeah. 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 And so, yeah, you don't have to add too much at a time in order to feel some effects. And so it's just so easy to do. I mean, yeah. uh, 
And if you don't like it, peel it off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And if you do, great. You have a new spec that you might be in search in search of from your racket. Right. Right. Or you make. Yeah. Skipping along, I have a, a question about tension. Uh oh. It involves a little <laughs> bit of a setup. Oh no. <laughs> Everyone, everyone listening, grab your, have some coffee, get a cocktail, Maybe settle in. Fast forward um, would be my advice. <laughs> so Put us on like extra speed so we go right? faster. <laughs> yeah. so Michelle goes to the court for a match mm. and she believes she has the magic tension for her racket. She even tells people before she goes down that <laughs> she has the magic Proud of her tension. Then she plays against a player with heavy topspin. And she has problems getting enough depth on her shots. She loses and she believes that the magic tension for her racket is actually two pounds lower. Yeah, because it couldn't have been me. It had to be the string. Right. (laughs) So two weeks later, she goes to the court with her new magic tension. Again, she tells everybody, this is my magic. <laughs> this is, is going to change everything. Now, if you know Michelle, she doesn't talk like this. For example. You know, Michelle, that's exactly what she does. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this next match, she plays a flat ball there. Um, ball comes in at a different angle, different speed. And then she hits too many balls long. And she leaves convinced that she got the tension wrong again. <laughs> and oh, so boy. are there other variables that might explain what happened in each match, why her shots weren't as dialed in as she wanted? For instance, did, did her opponent play any role in this <laughs> equation or was it all her tension? Did she just miss the tension? <laughs> Yeah, she just missed the tension. She just find the right tension. Fun yeah. fact, like if you're actually Michelle, she has other backups yeah. with different tensions and different swing weights in her back. You gotta dial it, you gotta dial it in to the one thousandth of a pound. Right. It was just just it was that one pound I didn't get right. No, you know, actually though, the, the your opponent's uh shots have a much greater effect than uh, we're willing to give them credit for. And, and, and by, and from the physics point of view, because you can be using the same stroke every single time, but if the ball is coming up at a different angle, speed or spin, um, that changes everything. Yeah. So in effect, in in effect, um, even though you're swinging at the same angle, you're making contact at radically different angles, um, depending on the, the the speed, spin, and angle of the ball coming in. And I think in, in experiments and tests that we've done, your opponent's shot, the speed, spin, and angle that is coming in at, can make more difference to your shot than anything else what, that you do or that uh, the the equipment's going to do. Right, so you could fall in and out of love with with rackets and strings and just be perpetually searching for the right racket or string. And all along, you were changing opponents and they were (laughs) causing you 
to have an ex, you know, the experience of, of, of either loving or hating equipment. Yeah. Well, um, for example, I mean, if somebody's hitting big spin to you, that means you have, have to turn around more spin. You have to counteract that. So if you leave, if you leave the court thinking that you're not, you can't hit any spin today and you blame it on yourself or your string tension or whatever, um, the fact of the matter is, is that if they're hitting more spin than you used to and it's coming in with more spin, that means you have to turn around more spin. And if you use the same stroke as you're used to, uh, you're not going to turn it around. You're going to end up with less spin. Um, so you you have to change your game and that uh, you have to compensate that for by hitting uh, swinging faster and steeper or uh, tilting your racket more in order to make up for the extra spin already coming in. That's why I always say that in the game of spin, whoever hits the big spin shot first wins because you're always ahead in spin at that point, <laughs> unless you make a mistake and the other person can, uh, can, can make, you know, turn the, turn the tide. That's the doll's secret. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I have to say too, I know obviously it's easy for tennis players to default to equipment problems and all that. I do it all the time. Um, and last week I had an experience and tennis players are so mental and we go on feel and emotions and things that are not, um, you know, set in stone, but I stepped on the court and just from the very first ball, it was like, not going to be, it was a challenging day on in the head. It was cold. The balls were hard. This, that my strings were old, this like my shoes. I didn't like my shoes. Like everything that like nothing was like dialed in. I tried like six different rackets. None of them were good. So then, you know, whatever. So the next day I did step on the court. I had kind of like fixed my head a little, like really determined, new shoes, new string, new grip, new everything. And it was like a whole different experience. So you know what? New gear right. does have the power. Right. <laughs> and it was great. I hit slide so well. Just saying. That's not scientific, but. <laughs> and it was all because you used the dampener and the sound. <laughs> everything flowed from that. Everything. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. But, you know, it's interesting because we tend to get hung up on like single variables. Someone's, you know, they're worried about, you can sort of over worry about tension or like, you know, in our very first podcast that, you know, sort of made a yeah. joke about someone who was really worried about the difference between one pound of tension, you know, that, that kind of stuff, even though it's not that extreme happens more than you think where someone's really worried about, you know, things like tension loss or reference tension. But when you think about it, because a string is constantly losing tension, you are always adapting more or less to different tensions. You're adapting to the weight of the ball. You're adapting to the changing bounce of the ball based on you know, the different materials, you're adapting to the speed of the court, you're adapting to the wind, you know, and then like we said, your opponent's pace and spin. So it's like your internal computer is constantly processing all of this information, and you're still coming up with more or less accurate shots. So, you know, the fact that maybe the tension was off by a little you're already dealing with so many other variables and you're getting through it. I mean, 
Crawford made this analogy of, of a shooter in basketball. I mean, the fact that, you know, wherever you are on the court when you're taking a shot and the other variables like someone in your face trying to block the shot, you literally have to change your motion, you know, move your torso and change your arc. All of those things you're just factoring in on the fly. And tennis players are doing that too. So to some extent, you know, people are probably more adaptable to higher and lower tensions than they think. And they're already most likely adapting to those things. Yeah. The tension, I mean, you're familiar with, uh, and I think we've talked about it before, you know, tests that uh, Rod Cross did with a a colleague in Australia. And uh, they did a test with uh, satellite, uh, you know, level players. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, they strung, again, I can't remember the exact experiment, how, how it was performed, but the, the general concept of it was they gave players, I think, two rackets. One, they were like, uh, one time they were like two pounds apart, one time five pounds apart, maybe one time f- f- uh, 10 or 20 pounds Actually, apart. So I'm looking at 20 pounds. And they were, they were blacked out, identical rackets. Yeah. And so, yeah, so they had a set of like three or four of those rackets and they asked them to, to play those four rackets mm-hmm. for X number of hits, change mm-hmm. rackets and, and then hit with them and then rank the rackets in terms of tension. Mm-hmm. And uh, only like 5% of them <laughs> uh, could correctly even come close to ranking, which was the higher and which was the lower um, tension racket. I feel confident that we could, but that would be a fun experiment because yeah. like Jada messes with us sometimes. A lot of times, a lot of times I will tell you that I gave you a particular attention. I'll say it was you, know, you like, you like stiffer tension. So I'll say it was 62 and, it was and it's actually, only like 52, yeah. actually 41 <laughs> go out there and you'll play great. I know it's such a mind trip. I remember a few years back, Howard Brody also did an experiment that, uh, again, was similar. Uh, I think it was college players. And um, he determined at the time that for swing weight, even with that level of player, it took a 7% change in swing weight before they could tell that the, uh, they were playing with a different swing weight. And so tension same thing with these satellite players is, again, they, the, their scores started going up after I don't know what tension it was ten pound difference between rackets or they could they could identify the twenty pound one but they couldn't uh, ch- tell the difference between two pounds difference and ten pounds difference whatever you know whatever the results were but um, again it's it, it's you know it's it's eye opening the balls on the strings for five milliseconds. <laughs> <laughs> Force that's on your hand is it's it's not there very long. But I think it depends on the circumstances too. Whether you're hitting spin, whether you're hitting it flat, I think depending on the ball coming in, you can tell. Depending on the kind of shot you're hitting, some shots are easier to determine a, a tension difference than other kinds of shots. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I you know, it, it, and it, it probably depends on the string too. Yeah, yeah. True. Because if you're if if you're a spin hitter and you're using polyester, um, yeah. you may be able just the extra movement you're going to get in the strings laterally mm-hmm. 
uh, uh, with a less tension string, perhaps you that seems like it would be easier to tell the difference with than just a straight impact. Although, speaking of string, Uh um, (laughs) another little segue, you know, just like, you know, you sort of get hung up and you need a specific tension. And I actually think that's true. I think players are very keyed in to the way a specific tension feels, the feedback they get. And I don't think you can discount that at all. So to some extent, you know, I, I actually think picking a number and sticking with it or, or, or paying attention to that, I actually think it is important. And I'm, I'm not trying to make fun of people who stress about that too much. But with, with string, imagine if you had it in your head that you could only get spin from a polyester. And if you played with anything else, you just, you know, it wouldn't work. And you go down to the court with a racket that has a poly and a racket that has a multi or a poly player, and you warm up with both. I would imagine that while you were warming up with your own racket, which was strong with poly, you would hit a few balls along. I mean, Michelle, have you ever missed a ball with your favorite setup? Always. <laughs> or just this, you know, an errant ball that just sailed, you know, and it's just, you know, when you're swinging fast and it's a matter of minute angles, anything can happen no matter what the setup. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that if, you know, I'd sort of like to do this test, but I would imagine that you would miss a few balls in your set, in your practice session, in the initial few hits with your favorite setup. And the same thing would happen if you were playing with a multi-filament. Mm-hmm. I think in the case of the multi-filament, you'd say, well, see, I can't get spin from a multi-filament. Mm-hmm. When in fact, spin is so heavily dependent on stroke speed and angle of attack that you know the best players could get spin from anything. Any player can especially if you tensioned it correctly so that you could carry high tip speed. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if you look at, say, you know, even going back to Laver or, you know, and then Sampras and then obviously Borg or Jim Courier, all of these players, I would take the ball rotation they got off, they got on their forehands, you know, and, you know, and, and some of them with their backhands, I would take that ball rotation over 99% you know, of the non-professional players. And they weren't using polyester. They were using either natural gut or synthetic gut and couriers. But just imagine if they were. (laughs) (laughs) Any player can get good spin with any any equipment. It's just more difficult with some than others. And uh, the advantage of polyester, I think, is, is an advantage. And for the couple of reasons that we've already mentioned is that because the strings stiffer uh, and you lose more ball velocity, you swing faster and you the control is more with you and the power is oriented more with you. So that makes you feel better. And the second thing is the coefficient of friction or the slipperiness of the strings on strings makes a, a big difference. So you get a lateral motion of the strings with polyester that you don't with nylon or gut or Kevlar. And so it's the lateral motion of the strings when they snap back um, that create the extra spin too. 
So you have these, you know, multiple effects that are adding to spin with the polyester. What if I use string lubricant? Oh, in my natural gut. And I went Monica Sellis. I went Monica Sellis, and I strung it at one hundred and two. Oh, oh. <laughs> we did do experiments with with the lubricant just to see what would happen, and uh, we did it with all. We did it with nylon and polyester. I don't know if we had gotten the experiment or not. But I think uh, all the materials that we use, um, you do get more spin with a lubricated string simply because in all cases, you got more lateral string movement of the uh, main strings uh, so that uh, when they snap back, if they snap back, um, they would add extra, extra rotation to the ball. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> we have time for some just... I know. I was like, do we have quick? Yeah. I was going to say we got to, uh, we should limit ourselves. All right. No, this, this is only going to be a 15 minute setup. <laughs> I was like, hold on and go. <laughs> okay. Just some quick ones. We'll do a hard stop at, if it gets there, 1110. Okay. Does string color affect playability in noticeable ways? Oh, I love this question. <laughs> <laughs> If careful, well, I don't have to be careful. I just say no. Um, (gasps) (laughs) If it was measurable at all, you it could prove one way or the other. But the whatever you measure, you're not going to feel, not in reality, and it's not going to make a difference in in ball anything because because. Only thing it can change is the stiffness of the string. I mean, everything about string is every component that goes into the string. Really, all we're going for is what is the end at the end of the day. What is the stiffness of the string? You can call it, uh, you can call it whatever you want, uh, whether it's string texture or string gauge or uh, string material. In the end, all those things just add up to a string stiffness. Right. And so um, it's the stiffness that, that makes the difference. Now I don't even remember what the question was. Well, I, you wouldn't see a variation in stiffness. You're not going to, you're not going to see any, and even all the other things like uh, string stiffness and uh, um, the texture of the strings and everything. Um, as far as ball velocity goes, you're never going to get more than two or 3% extra ball velocity in anything you do with string and color isn't one of the ones that is going to give you two or three percent i mean but like a yellow versus a black in the same it makes you feel good michelle (laughs) (laughs) yellow versus a black was you know five point difference in stiffness i feel like that would be gobbled up by you know, so many other. Yeah, no, the 5% difference in stiffness is going to get gobbled up by everything. Stringer technique, calibration of the machine, you know. Now, perhaps maybe, maybe color change, changes the coefficient of friction somehow, is, um, no. makes it slipperier or less slippery, which, again, can influence your perception of not only spin, but uh, with any kind of string movement, you, it, it changes your perception of, of ball velocity and power too, and, and comfort and, and whatever. I mean, everything sort of, you change one variable and you, I think you feel the effects in all the different areas. Yeah. We just compared a, a natural to black multi when we were doing a play test 
and the black just got stuck out of position mm. and it, you know, so it just didn't move. And I wonder if it, that would constitute more pressure or more shock because the string wasn't moving at impact. If that would have, you know, have an, have an effect on at least the power or the spin well, whenever the string moves, it gives you a feeling of softness. Right. No matter what direction it moves, it's going to add to the feeling of, of a soft, flexible right. string, even if it's only in one direction. Like a polyester um, will give you more lateral motion, so you feel like it's softer in that direction. It'll take away from uh, the uh, perpendicular flex of the string, which is just going to be just stiff, stiff, stiff. So... Uh, if you're a big spin hitter and you're getting a lot of lateral motion on your strings, you know, it's going to take away from that feeling of stiffness. Oh, oh my gosh. Goodness. I just got a question on YouTube that I feel like would be great to oh. ask. Hi, T-Dub. Does the main or cross affect the launch angle more? For example, the launch angle. Well, and then he gets very specific into different gauges of string. But that's a good one, right? The main string would would uh, create is the main thing for for launch angle and again if the strings are moving laterally then when they snap back they're pushing up on the ball and therefore they're also creating an upward uh side spin they're also creating an upward trajectory so he also says for example is there a difference between the launch angle in a full bed of 1.25 poly versus a hybrid of a 1.2 and 1.3 poly. <laughs> See, these are the questions. Confident yeah. answer. Again, in theory, anything that uh, you do in the string bed that uh, increases the lateral movement of the strings is going to create uh, increase both spin and uh, launch angle. So I, I don't know if those minor changes are going to make a difference or not. The only way you ever find out is uh, testing them and, me and measuring it. And, <laughs> and of course, trying it again, that's usually a, a matter of perception. You actually have to measure it to know the real answer. Uh, what you think the answer is also, uh, you know, as we've said many times already, is uh, will, uh, will have an influence on how you play. Uh, but in whether it matches reality or who knows but yeah if it if something increases the lateral movement of the strings it's, it's probably going to um, increase spin and the uh trajectory the higher trajectory of your ball what about this are you are you ready to just get rid of the polyester co-polyester distinction oh i always wonder about this so yeah let's okay so i mean that's an uh, that's an easy one again we start calling all of our word, stiffness. Yeah, we we give all of our technologies all these fancy names and uh, stuff, and in the end, for a string, uh, when it comes to power and energy flow, uh, it all comes down to stiffness. And um, whether it's made with the copoly or whether it's a fifteen versus a seventeen versus a twenty gauge or or whatever, all those things, the only reason they exist is to create a, a certain stiffness. Um, and so uh, whether it's a copoly or poly or a nylon, doesn't matter what they're made of, it matters what the stiffness is. 
when we're talking pure ball velocity, it does matter what they're made of when it comes to spin because one slides and the other doesn't. Right, like the frictional properties are. Yeah, the frictional mm -hmm. properties are different, but uh, when it comes to uh, the rebound properties, um, it's, it's all about stiffness and it doesn't matter how you got there. You can call it whatever you want. Right, great, because I only you can, call it a poly. You can say sure. a copoly is softer than a poly. It could be, it depends on how much of each ingredient you have in there. In the end of the day, I don't care what it's made of. I just care what the stiffness number is. And I can do that by going to the, the TWU string stiffness tool. And I see that the stif stiffness of this string is this and the stiffness of that string is that. So I pick the one I want, the stiffer or the softer one. It's, right. it's, it's so easy. It's stiffness. Also, yeah, like P.S. to anyone listening that always is like, how does this poly play versus poly or co-poly or whatever? Uh, this string database, I say it all the time. It is bookmarked on my computer. I use it probably at least once a day. It is so easy to compare two strings and know exactly what you're going to get with a string that you've never played with compared to a string that you always play with. Right. Fun fact. So bookmark that. And next time you have a question, go look it up. And remember, <laughs> we're, we're talking ball velocity and feel the firmness of your feel. We're not talking spin with the, the, that particular item, right. which is a different tool, which is the spin potential tool. And uh, that measures uh, the it measures two things and does the ratio of the two. It measures the ball to um, string stickiness, and then it measures the string to string slipperiness you want the strings to be slippery on each other and you want the ball to be sticky on the strings and the combination of the two will give us spin potential and so we've met we've measured that for all the strings and uh, um, come up with spin potential and they're all ranked and you know we had they're ranked they basically fall on a scale between zero and 11 the ratio somewhere in that that neighborhood and so if you have a, a ratio of uh, 7.1 and 7.2, for all intents and purposes of the same string, yeah. I don't know how far you have to separate to feel the difference in spin. It'd have to be probably whole numbers. You, the difference between a six and a seven is, is probably enough to tell the difference. I mean, the stiffness thing also works for, for gauges. I yeah. Mean, you know, when yeah. you hear someone say, well, just switch to a thinner gauge and it'll be more comfortable. I mean, you know, whenever I hear stuff like that, I'm, you know, I'm like, just go to the stiffness number. Yeah. We'll know what's going to be more comfortable. Switch to a softer string and it will be more comfortable. Period. Right. Right. That, right. That. <laughs> that's why, you know, your tool sort of helps us cut through all that stuff. You know, a manufacturer will, you know, send us three strings, different colors, and they will have different names for each string and then you'll test them in the lab and i'll look at it and i'm like i'm like these are all the same string you know, <laughs> they should just have one name with different colors and you know that's at least the advantage the tool sort of helps us weave our way through that stuff so we aren't stuck with whatever story we're given right right is that a good place to end this one or you got anything else jada yeah, I mean, he's got, first of all, for anyone listening, these questions have been uh, collected and saved for nah. forever. And we barely even, you know, we barely even chipped off the top of them. But 
And I can just see him like searching, looking. So many questions. We have so many questions for Crawford and he is a hard man to get a hold of. So we're so glad that you were able to join. Well, he's testing fly rods. I know. For folks who are fishing, stay tuned. (laughs) (laughs) yeah for anyone listening we've talked about it before but we do have a sister we have a lot of sister companies but one in particular is tackle warehouse and they have started utilizing the services of crawford (laughs) to uh, start experiments on tackle rods and i mean i can't i i can't (laughs) don't don't forget we've 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 done some hockey too and so gosh yeah uh, on the TWU website, snuck away in the corner there under on the main menu, it says other. If you click other, you will see all of our hockey experiments also. Would you rather have a fly rod with more or less? <laughs> Go away, Jonathan. It's stop. time to stop. <laughs> He's cut off. Put him on. I'm going to mute him. But yeah, if there is anyone listening that is also into fishing, um, I think specifically, what is our is tackle specialty? It's bass fishing, right? Bass, bass, bass fishing. fishing. Yeah. Uh, definitely go check out tacklewarehouse.com. They are awesome. They've got great content. They do amazing weekly vlogs. And now they're going to have TWU, which conveniently the T works for them too. TWU experiments coming soon. So we have to share Crawford. But in the meantime... We're hoping to get them back more consistently. And if you guys enjoyed this episode and the previous one with these guys, please let us know by leaving us a rating or review. And if you have your own questions, feel free to ask us at podcast at tennis-warehouse.com. We will do our best to get them answered. But as you know, it's not always easy. They're not usually like cut and dry answers. And it takes a little bit of time. Well, we'll get better with practice. We'll get better. We'll get more succinct. We're getting there. We're getting yeah. there. And we're yeah. going to try to make this more regular and stay tuned. Crawford's got his own little commercial coming out. Just yeah. saying. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, anything else? Just goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks for listening. Happy hitting. And until next time. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode, and until next time, happy hitting. episode we talked about low density urban sprawl (laughs) (laughs) jonathan get a hold of yourself come on and this is how episodes get three hours long (laughs) yeah yeah start us up again michelle okay here we go (laughs) i'm ready i'm ready